0: Hi, Sun Valley. Good to see you on this first day of the year or second day of the year. Um, Worshipping together, uh, what a blessing that is. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but uh, most of the world uh, thinks about what the next year is going to be like, right? On the first week, at least, of the new year. Uh, new, new year resolutions are made. Uh, you know, promises, et cetera, are made, Uh, decisions, things happen during the first few weeks of the year um, that kind of guide the year. I think that that happens regularly. Um, So is 2022 going to be a year that's different than 2021 was for you? Uh, In some areas, we sure hope so, right? We certainly would desire it to be a bit different. But let's, let's uh, hone this down a bit into the world of our religious practices, our faith, our relationship with God. Is 2022 going to be a year of true religion for us? Or, and this may not be the case with you, but for much of the world it is, that's in the religious world at least, uh, is 2022 going to be like 2021 and where we play religion, where we pretend in our relationship with God. And I think you know what I mean. Are we going to play games with God and others in our life this coming year? Or are we going to to take our faith to a new level of significance, a new level of reality, a giant leap forward in a genuine relationship with God. Every year holds that out to us. Every day holds that out to us, really. You just heard read Mark chapter 2. I'm going to focus on verses 23 through 28. I want to read them again for you because I'm certain that it passed by some of you. It says, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? We'll get to the rest in a second. So the Pharisees, you know, kind of the foil of Christ um, throughout his ministry, uh, were certain to point out things that, that would make him look bad, or his disciples look bad. And what we see here is really a a section of scripture that deals with fake spirituality. Really spiritual slavery, if I could put it so bluntly. And so in the text today, what I want to do for you in this sermon is I want to point out spiritual slavery, not just in this text, and in the first century uh, Jewish experience, but more importantly, in our own lives. I want to point out spiritual slavery and then, of course, not leave us there, but show us the path out of that and way into spiritual reality, spiritual vibrancy. And it's all right here. So let's first look at this spiritual slavery from the verses I just read for you. Being human and trying to be friends with God is a tricky prospect, isn't it? Being human and trying to be friends with God <laughs> its a tricky prospect. Not because God has designed it that way, but because we make it that way. It's in our fallen nature uh, that we believe that we must work for his approval by doing certain things and not doing other things. We're famous as Christians for having lists of do's and don'ts, right? In fact, that's how some would define us. Many times I think we believe that our relationship with God is based on how well God likes me today. We try to jump through certain religious hoops by doing some things and avoiding other things, by hoping uh, that people around us view us in certain ways, hoping for a greater degree of acceptance by God and esteem from those in my life. If I can just accomplish those two things, then, then my religion is real. And this comes to us naturally. This religious approach to God is problematic. It's actually destructive. Listen closely. This approach to God is destructive, not constructive. Desiring spiritual life, our our attempts at gaining God's approval, approval through merit, actually brings spiritual death. It actually is the cause of our problems with God. And yet we continue. Our fallen nature that we received from our first parents pushes us to this kind of thinking and behavior. We're convinced that We're able to earn God's favor if we just try hard enough, do the right things, and stay away from the wrong things. We naturally reject any approach to God that doesn't include personal effort. Well, how how could it be real if I don't actually try and pull this off myself? We, We want to have something to do with it, right? This is the basis of our existence. It's my way. I did it. Pride. The very thing that God came to solve. Unfortunately, this method of approach to God deceives us into thinking that it's working. To make things worse, we judge anyone around us that doesn't join in our hypocrisy, meet our expectations, and we're pretty certain that God prefers us over them. What I'm talking about is legalism here. This is what Jesus was dealing with in this section, and, and the the death that legalism brings to spiritual life this is what plagued the pharisees of jesus day they were self-righteous self-dependent pridefully believed that what they were doing impressed god how could it not learn his law his commandments we're doing them we're checking the boxes But they not only deceived those around them, the ones who they were supposed to shepherd, but they were deceived themselves. They actually believed it. They were enslaved to religiosity. Their hearts were not engaged with God. Their godliness was all in externals, certain kind of washings You had to wash your hands in a certain way. Fasting, special dress, no heart repentance, no heart anything, faith, holiness, no heart. It was all in externals, what people could see. They had no real relationship with God. They they certainly couldn't describe their relationship with God as a loving, joyful thing. They were in bondage to spiritual slavery. I doubt the Pharisees would have had any concerns with Jesus or his disciples if they were breaking the moral laws of God, like covetousness. That's between you and God. Um, Lying. Yeah, you do what you got to do, bearing false witness, etc. These sins were regularly practiced by the religious elite, just like in our day, with only a wink from the Pharisees. As always, of course, this story was written for us, right? (laughs) That's why we have a copy of the book. We must be diligent to not fall into the same error. We must not wink at failures and hidden sins while making a big deal out of the external failures of others, calling out famous sins like adultery, drunkenness, drug abuse, while ignoring inward sins like the ones we struggle with, greed, bitterness, unforgiveness. Those are minor compared to your sins, right? Yeah. This is spiritual slavery, and it comes natural to us. And it's been practiced since the beginning, (laughs) We have not invented it. The Jews of Jesus' day did not invent this kind of relationship to God. It has been around since Adam and Eve. Where do you think the fig leaves idea came from? (laughs) An attempt to show God I'm doing my own thing here. I'm really working hard at this. But as the Jewish religion was introduced by God and and began to become a regular religion in the life of the Jews, they became entrenched in the religion and bypassed the relationship. The the hearts of the religious leaders were affected by generations of sin, which calloused their hearts to the real truth, the real relationship with God, um, so much so that relating to God, in a sense, became routine and observing the day that God intended to be a blessing the Sabbath became a burden let me let me share with you some Sabbath regulations if you're unfamiliar with this it'll shock you but I'm not making any of this up in Exodus chapter 20 God says commands keep the Sabbath day holy right And then in Exodus 31, he explains what that means. And it's real simple. Don't work. Don't work on the Sabbath. That's all that God said about the Sabbath. Keep it holy, and this is how you do it. Don't work. (laughs) So the Jewish leaders took this and tried to define what it meant, down to hair-splitting detail, what it means to not work. In fact, In the Talmud, which is a Jewish rabbinic text, they take 24 chapters to define what it means not to work. (laughs) No work was, was allowed, and so they took apart their whole society and one by one said, this is what they can and can't do. For example, the scribes, couldn't carry pens on the sabbath because it would tempt them to write something which would be work no pens you scribes it continues tailors couldn't carry their needles students couldn't carry books no one could carry anything heavier than a dried fig not sure what they did with clothing <laughs> I'm sure that it wasn't a nudist colony on the Sabbath. If anything was tossed into the air, imagine that. Tossing something into the air, it had to be caught with the same hand. They actually recorded that. It had to be caught with the same hand because you've caught it with the other hand. It's work. So if you want to play catch with your kid, it was kind of interesting. Um, No insects could be killed. No candle could be extinguished or lit. So if you wanted light the next evening, you lit it before the Sabbath began at 6 o'clock on Friday night. And you left it going all day because you couldn't extinguish it. Um, No bathing was allowed because some water might splash onto the floor and cause someone to accidentally clean the floor as they mopped it up. Um, Which would be work, of course. No furniture could be moved because it may cause ruts in the floor which we considered plowing. I I know we have some dust in our house, but women couldn't look in mirrors because it might tempt them to pull gray hair. Nor could they wear jewelry because it weighed more than a dried fig. (laughs) I'm thankful for grace. I really want our women looking in mirrors. (laughs) When they saw Jesus' disciples picking and eating grain on the Sabbath, they jumped at the opportunity to point out his failure, their failure, and their sin. Because they were Pharisees. The law, not God's law, but the laws that man added to God's law. God just said to keep the Sabbath day holy and don't work. They added all these 24 chapters that became law. Um... To the nth degree. These guys couldn't pick grain because that fell under the category of harvest. They couldn't rub the heads together of grain to remove the husk because that's threshing. They couldn't blow the husks away because that's winnowing. These guys were breaking the law all over the place. <laughs> these these Pharisees had Jesus' disciples nailed. They were in sin. None of it was permitted on the Sabbath. What's ironic is that it was also um, restricted. I mean, the the travel was restricted on the Sabbath. You couldn't walk more than 3,000 feet from your house. And to get to the fields in question, they had to walk more than 3,000 feet. So in order to catch them, catch the disciples in their sin, they had to sin. The Pharisees demonstrated that the observation of the details were not about the welfare of people, which how God designed it, but about protecting their petty regulations made up in their own hypocritical system of external religion, spiritual slavery. This is what was going on. And it so happens to be a problem today. Not in the same way But in the same principle, we struggle with the same things. So what is your approach to God? People of Sun Valley, what's your approach to God? Do you believe, like the Pharisees, that you can impress God and gain his favor by coming to church? By being kind? By being good? By merit gaining? Do you think that God will approve of you if you do certain things and avoid others? Do you do anything in the Christian life to impress the people around you? Spiritual slavery, same thing. I'm I'm not not making this up here, friends. This is written for our good. This is written for our good. It's not just a, a, a history book here. It's been designed intentionally by God to address issues in our own experience, in our own relationship with him. But in verses 25 through 27, we have blessed freedom, not spiritual slavery, but blessed freedom. Look at verses 25 through 27, and he said to them, "Have you never read that David what David did? when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, Which it is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who who were with him? Wow. So, (laughs) first thing I want to point out here is this true religion blesses, it doesn't restrict. True religion blesses, it doesn't restrict. If your religion is restrictive, it's the wrong religion. Jesus answered the accusatory question here from the Pharisees in verse 24. Why are these guys breaking the law by taking grain and eating it on the Sabbath? By reminding them of the story of David when he was running for his life from King Saul. He was extremely hungry to the point of death, and so he went into the temple and asked the priest for the sacred bread that only priests could eat. Nowhere is David condemned for this. God never condemned him. The priest never condemned him. No biblical author ever condemned David for doing that. And yet, it was against the law. You see, Jesus' words showed that even though they knew the story of David, of course these Pharisees knew the stories of David. They were experts in the law. Even though they knew the story of David, they missed its meaning. God allowed ceremonial law to be broken for the sake of meeting urgent human need. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. (laughs) Compassion always trumps ceremony, always. In the church age, which we live in, we don't have the Sabbath, we don't have Sabbath expectations or observations. We worship on Sunday, but that's not the Sabbath, right? Jews observe the Sabbath. We as Christians do not. But Sunday is a day that's very important to most Christians, and we set it aside for rest, spiritual restoration and enjoyment. But this is why we meet together on Sunday. We, we meet to enjoy God. We must keep this day special by making it a pursuit of this joy in Christ, joy in God, benefiting from all of his good gifts for us. This should be the focus of our Sunday morning worship service. In fact, some churches call it a celebration service, which is appropriate. Enjoying all of good's gifts should spill out of Sunday and into the rest of the week. We can get pharisaical in our daily lives, can't we? I know I can. Sometimes we catch ourselves doing certain things either because we think it impresses God or we're trying to impress the people around us. But this never fools God and much less impresses him. If it's done to impress, it's automatically wrong, right? This is what God's word says, listen. From the Apostle Paul to the Colossians, he said this, I should say this, from the Apostle Paul to the people at Sun Valley Church, God says this uh, in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Aren't you glad about that? Sun Valley Church, (laughs) I, I can't say this enough. Jesus loves us. He desires our joy. He left heaven and came to earth for our joy. He died on the cross for our joy. Let's not take the great gift of Jesus and turn it upside down and undo the purpose for which He came. Our religion shouldn't restrict us at all, it should give us joy. So let's not move our pursuit of Christ into legalism. Next, I want to point out from verse 27 that true religion brings freedom within boundaries. And you go, okay, here you go. <laughs> and you, when you connect the word boundaries to freedom, it's no longer freedom, right, is how we might think. Now, please follow me, because there is, I think, logic in the scriptures here presented. Jesus, in this text, specifically in verse 27, establishes the space of freedom. Don't don't reject me here right off the top. Please listen. Jesus establishes the space of freedom for all his people. He says this in verse 25 and then through 27. But in verse 25, he says this. And he said to them, have you never read... Have you never read? Read what? The scriptures. Where does Jesus get his rights to be allowing his disciples to eat grain? From the scriptures. The very things that the Pharisees were using to accuse them of sin. (laughs) Have you not read? Friends, our freedom comes from this book not outside of the book. Do you know this book well enough to walk joyfully and freely through life, knowing that that God never impressed with your do's and don'ts, but with your heart? Do you know the book well enough to know that? That's a basic premise of the book. The whole book, Genesis through Revelation. The scriptures reveal to us the heart, and the mind of God. Jesus knew that David knew that the law of God is never intended to do harm to God's people, but only to help God's people. David knew this. Jesus knew that David knew this. And Jesus knew this because Jesus knew the Scriptures. All the Scriptures are for our good, our freedom. And and so do the Scriptures Act as a rule, a guide, a parameter to your life and faith. Do they direct our steps, guide our decisions? Do we know the scriptures? Do we know God's heart for us as his people? It says in First Peter 2, or First Peter 1 rather, that we have everything we need for life and godliness in the scriptures. Everything. So the boundaries of life and faith are the scriptures. You might say, well, I've read read a lot of restrictions in the scriptures. I thought you just said, and I did, true religion blesses and doesn't restrict. What are you saying? That sounds like a contradiction. Again, continue to follow. You've heard of the study of the elementary school playgrounds, right? You've heard that study? They did a study on elementary school kids and playgrounds and when school districts um, does not fence the elementary school playground, all the kids congregate in the middle of the playground and don't venture out too far from that middle. But once the school district installs fences on the perimeter of the elementary school property, the kids feel safe and they feel free to roam all over the playground right up to the fence line. That's what's going on in scripture. Friends, listen closely. This is how it is in life and our relationship with God. He has installed parameters to keep us safe. And we misinterpret those parameters as restrictions. But the, he meant them for good. When we stay within those parameters, we experience freedom and joy. But the moment you take down the parameters, you, you immediately sense uncertainty, danger, fear, and restriction. The Sabbath was a parameter from which to enjoy great freedom. The Sabbath was made for joy, not restriction. God said this keep it holy by not working. That's what God said. I think if we heard that, we would rejoice in it. I don't have to work today. God intended the Sabbath to be a day of refreshment and rest from a long week of work. So God said, simply, don't work. You should enjoy physical rest, spiritual rejuvenation. God wants us as people to feel no expectations in the Christian life that feel restrictive. He wants us to enjoy life completely. So... Let me give some specifics. I think we need to commit to enjoying things that God means to us to enjoy in 2022. And if you get offended here in the next minute, then forgive me or grow up. Um, So let's enjoy our wine and our beer within the parameters of scripture, which is what? Don't get drunk. That's it. Enjoy it, but don't get drunk. Uh, And consider the weaker brother. Right? Let's enjoy our sex within the parameters of Scripture. Paul said, and unto the married I say. Right? Enjoy good books, which many will be secular. Enjoy hobbies, enjoy sports, enjoy entertainment, enjoy food within the parameters of Scripture. Have you not read? Jesus asked. So let's enjoy our vacations, including time away from church, within the parameters of Scripture. Which is what? Hebrews 10.25. Don't neglect the meeting together as a church as some are in the habit of doing. I know some of you struggle with this one particularly. Um, but I want you to encourage you to take your time away from church. You need that. We need that. <laughs> Just don't make it a habit, according to the author of Hebrews. Right? And as soon as I say this, someone's going to ask, well, how much can I miss and not have it be a habit? <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> uh, if I answer that, of course, you're going to take it and run all the way to legalism. <laughs> but I think the answer to that question is different for everyone. And if you look forward to missing church more than you do attending it, we've got a different issue. Right? For anyone who's in leadership, we must think very carefully about how often we can be away from the flock that God has blessed us with. How do we respond when we need a doctor? And call his office and find out that he's been gone for two weeks and is going to be gone two weeks more. Because he's on vacation. It's frustrating, isn't it? So, doctors, you can never be on vacation. Because we need you. When we need you. Right? We feel this way about mechanics, accountants, loan officers, right? Why not leaders in the church? We do. And beyond those in leadership, we are all dependent on the church, whether we realize it or not, if we're truly in Christ. Uh, The church is dependent on us and we on the church. Your spiritual life is nurtured and strengthened here like nowhere else. God ministers to his people in the context like no other place here. He does this through his word, what you're receiving now. He does this through his people and the gifts he's given them to share with you. A big part of coming to church is what you bring to it. The church needs you here, we need you here. You've been added to this church by God for specific reasons. We want you here. So we must look at this place, church, as a cafeteria, a fueling station, a hospital, boot camp, a retreat center. Be here. Do you need encouragement? Be here. Do you need spiritual growth? Be here, do you need hope? Be here. I'm actually amused by someone who says, I'm so discouraged. How come you're not in church? Well, I'm so discouraged. Well, (laughs) good gifts are meant to be enjoyed, friends. And the church is one of the greatest gifts to God's people. The church is one of many good gifts. We need to enjoy all of them within the parameters of Scripture. We have so many good gifts from the Father for us, His favored children. We of all people, Christians, we of all people must be filled with joy. If we're not filled with joy, what do we offer the the world that doesn't have Christ? Come over and join us and be bummed out. No. (laughs) Kent Hughes, wrote this, people need to be exposed to the reality of God's Word so that false characters of Christ can fall away. But they also need to be exposed to people full of his new wine. We just heard read earlier about this comment in verse 22 Jesus said to the same Pharisees, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does the wines will burst in the skins, and the wine will be destroyed, and so will the skins. So Kent Hughes asked this. I don't have it quoted here for you, but this is what he said. Are you an old bag or a new wineskin? <laughs> Mark is saying that truly knowing Christ is an aroma of joyful life to those around us. Knowing Christ should be something that brings joy to your neighbors. An aroma of life, Paul called it. We should never be accused of dead orthodoxy, crusty religiosity, and down in the mouthness. We must work hard at being fresh air to everyone around us. Our spouses need this. Our children need this. Our neighbors and co workers need this. Our world needs this because they need our joyful Christ. Jesus' answer in verse 27 was that he simply wanted to place the Sabbath in perspective. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Friends, the Sabbath was made for us. The, 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 The parameters of scriptures are made for us, not us for them. He simply wanted to give us perspective And demonstrate that humanity, who's created in the image of God, must be seen as more important than God's parameters. Which leads us to the last verse, 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You're not going to find too many more profound and monumental statements out of the mouth of Christ than that. And it has everything to do with what he's teaching his disciples and these Pharisees at the time. And hopefully the Holy Spirit's teaching us right now that we have a loving master. King David was revered in the first century, right? The first century Jews knew he was a prophet, greatest king of Israel, um, one with great authority. And yet Jesus places himself over David here. We just sang it this morning. Great David's greater son. Who's that? It's this one, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus is claiming authority superior to that of the great King David. If David can do it, and I'm bigger than, better than David, what's that tell you? you know, this is, it isn't even argued by Mark, it's assumed. Throughout the Gospels, you see this repeated with all sorts of Old Testament characters. Jesus is greater than David, Abraham, Jacob, Jonah, Solomon. Jesus is even greater than the temple. It says all this in the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When Jesus declared himself here to be Lord of the Sabbath, he struck a severe blow at the entire system of merit and works righteousness that found its focal point in the Sabbath in Judaism. Jesus said, I'm above all of that. He claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath, just like God, in the Old Testament, Yahweh created the Sabbath, was Lord of the Sabbath, here he is showing up saying, I can tell you what the Sabbath's about. It's meant to be a blessing to you, not a restriction. By claiming to be Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus declared his authority over the whole Jewish religion. When he claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath, he was claiming to be God, period, because there was only one Lord of the Sabbath and it was Yahweh. (laughs) And here he is talking to the Pharisees face to face. So if the Sabbath was ever a burden, it was being misapplied. God never intended that day of rest to be one that could forbid enjoyment. The Pharisees misinterpreted the law and made it into a burdensome day that no one was able to enjoy. If your Christianity is ever a burden to you, you are misapplying your Christianity. God never intends our relationship with him to be burdensome or restrictive, but this, joyful. Listen to what Jesus said to a large group of Jews. Come to me, all all you who labor and are heavy laden And I will give you rest. These people were burdened and heavy laden with religion. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not heavy. It's not restrictive. It's light, joyful. See, God desires our joy. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. So let's not make a heavy load out of what's intended to be joyful. The Christian life, a relationship with God and with other believers who see him the same way. This morning, we have the opportunity, the blessing to partake of the Lord's Supper. If you know Christ if he is your savior, if you've embraced him, then this supper is for you. These elements are for you. They they represent Christ, his broken body, his spilt blood. These things are designed by God to, to nourish our soul, to remind us of his love for us and to bring us joy. So today, I want you, if you need to, confess as you come down the middle aisle before you get here and we serve you these wonderful elements, confess anything that maybe has brought a sense of of burden or restriction to your heart concerning your Christian life. And acknowledge that that he, God, Jesus, desires joy and freedom. And then partake of these things that are intended to bless you. And be blessed. Okay? Elders, if you're in the room, you can come up while I'm praying. Father, we thank you for um, these truths found in Mark. Thank you that you clearly communicated to us that you desire our joy and freedom and happiness. I ask that you would indeed um, move each of our minds to this place this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will have convinced your people of the necessity of joy. And now as I read these verses, soak them in, Sun Valley. 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-three through 25. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you Do this in remembrance of me in the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen.